Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, and welcome to Full Time here with Amy Nicholas. Um, I have Andrea Olson on today, which I'm super excited about. She's another host on WAM, and most of you have probably heard her, listened to her, been inspired by her, and I'm really excited to have her on the show. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, Amy. Thank you. Oh, awesome. So tell me, Andrea, you know, you've been a host on WAM for far, far uh, longer than I, than I have been. And I know you have, not only are you a host on WAM, you have a lot of different accolades that we can talk about through this call. And I know that you're also coming out, you are just actually have come out with a recent book, No Disruptions. So I wanted to talk about that because I know that as far as, you know, being able to provide manufacturing leaders, just an educational read on how to increase revenues, marketing, branding, all of those things, you know, it's just a really, really great book. So I thought we could talk about that as well today. Sure. No problem. That sounds good to me. Awesome. Okay, great. So you want to, first, I just want to start off, maybe you could just give our listeners a little bit of a background about you in case, you know, they haven't had an opportunity to listen to your show yet. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, a little bit about me. My, my career actually started in the tech industry. A friend of mine and I had a tech startup you know, back in the 90s, <laughs> back in that era. We actually built a company from $10,000 in seed money up to, gosh, I think right now it's about a $25 million organization over the course of uh, 10 years. And, you know, that's that effort in, in building an organization from the ground up is is rewarding, relentless, and exhausting all at the same time. So after that, I kind of was looking for something that was a bit of a, a new challenge, a broader opportunity for growth. And so I actually pivoted then oddly into manufacturing. So that was kind of the foray. And they were actually looking to kind of modernize their tech stack. And that's kind of why they, they said they'd take a, a chance on me, if you will. You know, that gave me the opportunity to go on uh, for the next 10 years and lead uh, the executive marketing and sales and distribution efforts to global manufacturers, one that was about $850 million globally and the other one that was about uh, $200 million globally. And that really gave me this, this experience and insight into, you know, what manufacturing's all about and, uh, you know, everything from the shop floor and the paint line, you know, all the way to customer and site visits. And it was just really enlightening. So that that got me into a passion of helping manufacturers really move into, for lack of a better word, the 20th century. Yeah. You know, regrettably, there are a lot of manufacturers, especially small to midsize, and even the ones that I worked for, were really just behind the times. And you know, part of that is driven culturally. Part of that is just driven organically by the way they develop. You know, a lot of these companies started with a someone that was, I don't want to say a handyman, but someone that was an inventor, someone that was a tinkerer, someone that could build a product. And then it grew out of that initial idea, yeah. you know, and it might've been patented and they might've taken off. But in regards to running the business, growing the business, strategically understanding employees, employee engagement, understanding customers, understanding markets, or even marketing at all, uh, you know, outside of a brochure is just still very foreign to a lot of manufacturers, you know, outside of the, you know, top 50 nationwide. Manufacturers even now. Which, yeah. which you'd find hard to believe, you know, but even just you know, some of their websites, even just the face is like, oh my God. So 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So tell me where you went from there. Oh, no. So I was just going to say that motivated me to to write my first book, which was No Disruptions, The Future for Mid-Market Manufacturing. And each chapter really runs the gamut on each of these, what we call front of the house operations, you know, one piece of marketing, one piece of sales, one piece is communications, employee engagement, customer engagement, and understanding. So it's kind of that you know, simple how-to of if here's the areas that if you're struggling to grow, if you're not on, not really seeing the path on how the organization is going to compete in the future, it's that primer to help you do that. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, you know, one of the things that you mentioned that really struck a chord for me was, you know, as you were developing this, you know, now $25 million tech company, which like, I mean, that's just blows my mind. You know, the process for you, you said, was both rewarding and exhausting. How did you get through that? Because I know that one of the things that you do as well is is coaching and consulting. So as, as business owners, as, you know, whether you're a C-suite manufacturing or you're, you know, a, a small business owner trying to figure out how to do it, I think a big part of that is just balancing it and figuring out how to fit everything into its place. And so sure. when you're coaching, I think that's probably something that you might run, in, run into. What do, what do you have? What kind of advice do you have as far as getting from A to Z and not only just understanding what things need to happen, but how to actually implement those things while keeping your sanity? <laughs> right, right. You know, it's changing the wheels on a, a moving bus, right? right? You know, the the core problems that that I've seen both from personal experience to even, you know, as a consultant every day is first and foremost, a lot of people get in their own way. And it's very difficult because, uh, you know, a company, it, it can be very personal. You know, your own vision can be something that you really take to heart. And so the biggest problem oftentimes is that organizations lose sight of the customer. They make huge assumptions of what customers want. They look solely at competitors, assuming competitors know what they're doing. Right. And take that blueprint and say, well, we're just going to apply it to ourselves, which oftentimes might not fit into your organizational hierarchy. It might not fit into your processes and culture. And it definitely doesn't differentiate you because you're just doing what someone else is doing. So, you know, it's it's hard to say, it, it, to ask and talk to customers on a ground level, not, you know, just a survey monkey. How did you like our service or how do you like our product? That's not a tangible feedback. You have to understand the nuances and how the customer uses that product. So, you know, a simple example I give is if you think about, uh, let's say, a screwdriver manufacturer and you say, okay, you know, we want to sell more screwdrivers. You know, I don't understand what the issue is. Maybe we need to reduce our price point or maybe we need to make it available in more, you know, different sales channels. Right. But if you look and understand how the customer uses the product, you might find out that oftentimes they're trying to screw something into a very tight space and that the handle and length of your screwdriver is too long. It doesn't yeah. fit there. So you're not in the consideration set. And that's simply just because you need to understand how the customer uses the product, what problem they're trying to solve, not what you're trying to do. Right. And then that opens up those opportunities for new discoveries. 
I also think that, you know, just on that note, you totally made me think of a company that sticks out for me recently because I have two young children and that's Elmer's Glue. And they didn't only look at the problem and how people use it on a daily basis, but how they could use it outside of what they were doing. I don't know if anybody else has seen that, you know, the kids are doing all the slime. Yeah. They created this whole slime I mean, it is insane. Kids are sliming up everywhere. I mean, right. it's this whole thing, and they've created a, pro- a product within a product for a totally different use, just mm-hmm. creatively kind of stepping outside the box as well. And right. I thought that was just really cool. Just on that note, that, you really made me think of that. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. You know, and a lot of companies that we speak to also kind of say, well, you know, we, we don't want to focus on just product differentiation. We want to understand you know, something outside of that, because that, you know, launching a new product from scratch can be incredibly expensive. So a lot of companies also simply shoot themselves in the foot because of their lack of communication and internal processes. I think everybody's been through an experience where you dealt with a company, oftentimes like the cable company, okay, to be honest, where they're forcing you to follow their internal processes. It's not that things are convenient and designed to help you do and accomplish what you want. It's about what they want from you. Right. And so if you think about even in manufacturing, you know, just simple as as billing. Is it super complicated to try to pay a bill? Is it super complicated to try to deal with a warranty claim? You know, do you have to talk with five or six or seven people? Do you have to send in a physical bill or fax something? You can't do it digitally by email or or some type of portal. You know, so it's about, you know, a lot of people say it's customer experience. And we misunderstand that term because we think, well, it's just about keeping people happy. It's like, it's not just that. It's about making the process seamless and painless, depending on what that customer wants to accomplish. I mean, I, I love everything that you're saying because I, I mean, I in you know I handle marketing for many many clients and you know having somebody understand that while their business has always worked one way to really understand what your potential customer wants and how they want to be communicated to can sometimes be very challenging and I think you say it very eloquently. Let me ask you a question. So tell me a little bit more about some of the consulting that you do as far as, I mean, you're obviously working with a lot of people. I know you do a lot of keynote speeches. So, but when you, when you, when you're out there and you're talking to people, what's like the number one question that you find that people ask you that they're like, gosh, I just really, if you could answer this for me, they feel it would like, just, you know, help them figure it all out. Oh gosh. You know, everybody's looking for that silver bullet, but you know, most frequently, (laughs) I think in the manufacturing space specifically, it's been that magic question of talent attraction and retention, right? Yeah. There's been this push of, you know, there's not enough trade folks in school. You know, there's this retirement coming up for kind of a huge portion of, of the community. A lot of these manufacturers are just super scared about what to do as this transition occurs. Yeah. What do you see as far as, I mean, obviously this transition is happening. I've heard it myself. Do you think that there's anything that we can do to really, or you know, that as a as a company, as a whether you're a company or you're a just the country that we should be doing to really kind of encourage more and find more of that talent? 
Oh, uh, totally, totally. And I just actually did a keynote to a regional economic development conference a few days ago on this subject. And really, there, there's two parts to it. You know, one is fundamentally at a higher level, it's it's the brand image of manufacturing, right? That there's still this permeated identity of that manufacturing is second level, it's lower class, it's, you know, does not have a long-term future. And that's an overarching problem that as a nation, we need to start shifting because in other countries such as Germany, it's not seen as a second level career. It's actually just hugely promoted and there's a level of exclusivity if you are in manufacturing. There's a panache to it, if you will. That's kind of a bigger overarching problem. But on the other end of the spectrum, when we look at these mid-market manufacturers, they, they used to have the opportunity to tap people and get them into jobs because they had no other choice. Right. And so they had a pool of people that they could just pick and choose at any moment in time and that pool always existed. And with the change in technology, the change in culture over the last even, I'd say, 20 years, it's now much harder. And when you look at your organization, you have to assess how can you effectively sell yourself against other manufacturers, but also how can you sell yourself effectively against other industries that can take this potential employee as well. A great story I have is there was a, a company that was a elevator and escalator manufacturer, and they said they were having a hard time getting talent. And they said, you know, we pay uh, five bucks more an hour than any other manufacturer around us, you know, and we have clean facilities and uh, we have, you know, first, second and third shift opportunities. You know, I don't see why we're not getting the bodies. Right. And there were a couple reasons for it. One was, you know, fundamentals like we only are sourcing people through, you know, job boards. It's like, you know, why are you only going to one well? You need to identify where your target employee might be. Right. Are they part of organizations? Uh, where do they hang out? What do they do? What medias do they uh, read? And you need to be present in those places. Right. But on the other side of the coin, there was actually a Costco that had just was just about to open up or in the process of opening, you know, down the road. And Costco was giving another $10 an hour to yep. be able to be a checker, right? Or a stocker. And you don't have to work third shift. You don't have to work second shift, right? So what's my motivation to go over to the manufacturer when I can go to Costco and get more pay and have more flexible hours? Right. So, you know, it's it's what is your strategy for securing talent that isn't just the I have good pay and it doesn't totally suck to work here. Exactly. Exactly. And I also happen to be a believer, you know, I in my company, we have a waiting list of people who want to intern. So, and obviously, you know, marketing is, you know, it sounds a lot more sexy, right? But yeah. because of how, you know, how it's been positioned and it, it is, you know, there can be a lot of different, the creativeness that goes along with it. But I think there's a lot of creative, there's a lot of skills that, that most people don't even realize go into, you know, the manufacturing end of it that we could really be highlighting and maybe even starting earlier to reach out. And, you know, that's, it's that whole idea of, 
you know, building your business, you know, even your people now, you know, we target people and we're selling to people, even though they might not be our current customer. So that eight years down the road, we know that we've already been marketing them and we've got a customer base. I think it's, you know, getting those internships, getting those, getting, setting those seeds now and not just kind of when that, you know, that perception's already there. Exactly. And that's, that's our philosophy is, you know, in my second book uh, called The Customer Mission, you know, the premise is, you know, why aren't everyone that you engage with treated like your best customers, right? If you're not treating employees like customers, and to your point, you know, early on trying to build that pipeline, then of course you're going to be have a shortfall, just as if you would if you were, you know, looking at your customer base and saying, you know, we don't need to prospect. We've just got three or four customers and we're totally fine. So it's taking those lessons that you have in fundamental sales and customer engagement and business growth and applying them to all the audiences that engage with your organization. Yes, I'm, I'm right there with you. So let me ask you another question. You know, one of the things that I have found in my experience working with manufacturers, but not just manufacturers, any kind of big industry is shifting over to different programs that will streamline a lot of their back end. I think that doing those things, making those changes because there is so many intricate processes that go in is, is terrifying. But the streamlining of a lot of these things as far as can help with their marketing, can help with their internal processes, their sales. Do you find that that is a, a fear or a kind of a, something that some of these manufacturers are holding back on? You know, the short answer is yes. And it's, it's difficult because, you know, folks like, like you and I, who are, are familiar with new technologies, you know, work within a modernized tech stack, see this as a very, oftentimes see it as a very simple transition, right? Because yeah. of our familiarity. But, you know, many of the manufacturers that, that we have engaged with, and again, we're talking, you know, 500 million plus, you know, it's not the three-man, you know, metal bending shop, right. is that they have not kept up over the decades with technology. So they're, you know, running Windows 98. You know, they're running an ERP that's a blue screen with yellow lettering, you know, like the things you have to tab through. And these are true stories. So when you're jumping the shark to something that's incredibly modern, it's not that it isn't a benefit to the organization, but culturally, those people that have been there 10, 20, 30 years, this is a huge dramatic change. It's like giving yeah. your grandma a computer, right? <laughs> that, that mountain is, you know, I don't want to say it's insurmountable, but you can't expect the culture and the organization to run as efficiently when you say get to the top of the mountain in a day. Right. So it's about starting to introduce small changes systemically, consistently, and helping them build to get to that point. It's a longer path, but there was uh, an organization we work with that is a major manufacturer, a a global manufacturer out of Finland. And they said, well, we're just going to put in SAP, right? We need this infrastructure. And long story short, because they didn't do that prep work, because they didn't realize where their organization was, their internal processes, that that were some were casual, some had not been documented. And these types of systems need structure that they could not get a product out of the manufacturing plant 
for six months. Uh, it was devastating. And, you know, a lot of heads rolled. So it wasn't that the intent wasn't right. It wasn't that they got over it and now they continue to grow and it was the right decision. But that hiccup, you know, luckily wasn't the downfall of the company, but it easily could have been, especially for these mid-market manufacturers that are kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm in total agreement. I think it's, it is difficult when you are in... When you're coming from one place and with all of the tech, I mean, there, and there's so many options. There's so many things that are out there that can help you streamline and can help things be more effective. But getting to that place and, and making sure that, you know, on the on your end internally, that you're you take those small steps and make sure that, you know, your your list internally, everything else internally begins to you start to focus on those processes one step at a time. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. So let me ask you something. What is your next step? Where where are you going? I mean, you have you have, you do so many things. You, you know, your books are doing really well. You're you're speaking. You're consulting. What do, what do you think your next step is? Oh gosh, that's a very good question. You know, so you know, really the the core areas that we're focusing on right now is the consulting side of things. We've really diversified into multiple industries. So we're serving. Finance, we're serving insurance, we're serving manufacturing, of course, you know, professional services firms. So that growth is expanding out just through the diversification of industry. But in addition, we're working on kind of packaging a series of uh, programs that we do specifically and looking to see how we can actually convert that into standardized methods that could be integrated into common technology platforms, like let's say the CRMs of the world. So we're trying to kind of look at how we can make that a lot more robust and standardized versus simply coming in, doing consulting, a lot of work. How can we make this part of the day-to-day of the organization versus that We come in and we look at your culture and say, these are the things we need to change. Let's help you do it. And then good luck. We want that to be something that's inherent to the organization that they look at every day. And I'll I'll tell you that just on the marketing end, on my end, I found that to be the case that works best for my company because we take everything from concept all the way to customer because I did the consulting and I did find that they love the advice, but they, when it came to implementation or being able to actually get those things done, it was almost destined that it was going to fall flat because it just, they love it. They just can't conceptualize how to do it. So I think that's right. a great direction. You know, we help as well with the implementation, but the big thing that, that we see is the sustainability, right? Yeah. So it's like no matter what you put together, and even if it's ready to go and it's customer facing or employee facing, sometimes it doesn't even go further than that. You know, yeah. it can still sit on a desk and you go, you're just throwing good money after bad. You know, it's it's the fact that you really want to make sure that this becomes a change that's sustainable and they can practically look and assess to see how something's doing, but they need that structure to do so. So let me ask you last question here, Andrea, you clearly have been incredibly successful. You have so much going on. And, you know, one of the big things that we focus on here on full time is just how you balance it personally, because there's so many people who want to do the things that you're doing, not just as a, you know, as far as what they could do on the manufacturing end, but 
whether it's writing a book or taking a company from nothing into something as big as what you've done. And how, how did you balance that and balance just like being a human? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And, you know, I, specifically women I've seen, you know, feel like they struggle with this, right? There's podcasts and articles of, you know, how do I balance my time and this and that and the other. And, you know, it's funny because I I look at it as think of it. And and this is a bit of a stereotype, you know, I'll admit, but, you know, how many men ask this question? They seem to not be faced with this challenge as much as women, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So I started to look at it as how are other CEOs, organizational leaders, specifically male, Mm -hmm. right? Because if they're being successful, I want to see, you know, how they're being successful and assessed it in a couple ways. One was you need to strategically think about where you're investing your time. You know, I think as based in our nature, you know, women tend to want to help and reach out and support, but that can overextend because the need exceeds the capacity. Yes. When we're starting to look at things that we want to do, that list cannot be 50 things long. That list has to be five things long because there's other things in our lives that that you cannot sacrifice. You know, you can't sacrifice uh, time with your uh, partner or your children or your family or, you know, certain things that, you know, are are non-negotiable. Right. But you can't also be, you know, on 27 boards and write a blog and, uh, you know, volunteer at the soup kitchen and run a company and, uh, you know, try to do five other things. It's yeah. unreasonable. And for some reason, it seems like that has been the, the mantra, the mantra of, you know what? I'm woman, hear me roar. I can do all of this. And then we kill ourselves. And I go, that's insane. There's no, there's no male CEO that is spending the time doing all these things. He is picking the top five or eight things that are most important to his career trajectory and his home life and just those. And if he's adding something new, he's replacing it with some, you know, something else. Something's yeah. going off the list. And yeah. it's not about each and every and anything, it's how do these all fit and support my overarching goal? So I would say that, you know, women specifically need to start thinking about not work-life balance or how do you get it all done? It's the strategy of what needs to be done, what really has to be done, and when does it have to be done? If you want to write a book, does that mean it has to be this year? You know, when do you want to write a book? Why do you want to write a book? How is it going to support your plan? Or is it just a wish list item? You know, like, yeah, I want to write a book. Well, who cares, right? (laughs) You can start with a series of articles, or you could start with a podcast, or, you know, you could say, what would be more important than writing a book? I'd rather do X, Y, or Z. Well, then do that, you know? So it's not about keeping up with the Joneses. There's this, it's a manufactured thought that we, yeah, as women have to do 
everything in the world to be successful. And guess what? The guys aren't doing that. And oftentimes they can be, in at least historically, more successful than us. Right. Well, I have to say that I've had many people, not that this show has been incredibly long running, but many people, and I think that's probably one of the best piece of, pieces of advice and articulated in a way that, you know, everybody says, well, do you know, pick what you want to do or try and prioritize? But I think that that was the analogy of how we think about what we need to do and what is a priority versus, well, you know, balance, just balance or, you know just pick what you want to do today is, is totally, it's great. And I think that that's true. I think, and I, and I say all the time to my husband, I say, I have so many more tasks than you. I don't get it. I have so many more tasks than you. You know, and it's, it's hard to say no, but yeah. once you get the practice of saying no, you go, that's not worth it. You know? And it's, sometimes it's, Hey, I don't have to go to every meeting in this organization, but I know this one is important. And guess what? If you look around at the your male colleagues, and I'm sorry to stereotype this way, you'll see that they don't go to every meeting. They only go to the important ones, right? right? Because they know their time is finite, right? And they're trying to strategically say, I'm going to do the things that have the most impact. They're not doing it based on quantity. They're doing it based on quality. Yes. And you know, why we try to balance, you know, 500 things and then go, I struggle to do it when they're only balancing 30. Well, of course yeah. they can balance. So, you know, if, if I had to say anything and narrow it down to one thing, that's, that's my personal theory and mantra is it's about having a true strategy and strategy in and of itself, especially with personally or with companies is kind of one of the hardest skills to learn and it's but it's one of the most invaluable well i imagine that if any of my listeners are like me which i think that they are they are going to want to read your books and they're going to want to hear your podcast so if they want to find out about where to get your book or books i'm sorry and maybe listen to you more often or get in touch with you where could they do that oh you know what well all the books are available on amazon.com as well as barnesandnoble.com so that's super easy Otherwise, getting a hold of me, there's really basically two ways. There's our consulting firm, which is Pragmatic, spelled phonetically with a K, pragmatic.com. Or we have a site where, you know, if you want to book me as a speaker or a presenter or just kind of learn about our podcasts, that's thecustomermission.com. Excellent. Well, I love it. And I really appreciate you being on today. I think that this was invaluable what you've shared today. And I'm really looking forward to reading your books. Wonderful. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure we're going to do this again. And guys, thanks for listening to Full Time with Amy Nicholas. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.